0: Because it really is what you're talking about. It's showing up, it's having a passion for something, it's having no expectations that anything's gonna go right. But if you put yourself in that spot, it's never gonna happen if you don't. So, he is now a 16 time Emmy winner. He left NFL Films, he worked for NASCAR, he does, he does his own production company. So I literally messaged him about a month ago and I said, Welcome to the Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes
1: look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fi Show. Where today we have on Vincent Puglisi, author of The Wealth of Connection. But before we get into that, let me check in my co-host Justin. How was your birthday week, man?
2: It was pretty solid. A lot of skiing. Was mixing in a good bit of work though too, because um, you know we just got back from Mexico, so. It's kind of hard to take off three weeks straight. So, mixed in some skiing. Um, you know, I think it's another cool thing. Like, people, if you're working from home, like take advantage of those time zones. Like, if you want some more time in the afternoon, go take a trip west and uh, you get off early. Yeah, you start a little early, but you get a little more of that afternoon action. Um, but we made it back Saturday, actually hopped on an earlier flight. And then Sunday, I got to go to my first NASCAR event. So, there's Circuit of the Americas track in Austin. And so, me and my buddy TJ went and uh, watched a NASCAR race. So, that kind of sums up my week. Cody, how about you?
1: Well, I also did a bit of traveling, Justin. I'm a little bit jealous you were out skiing in Park City. I didn't have a ski weekend, but it was a meaningful weekend nonetheless. So one of my buddies from college, Zach, and his new wife, Kendall, got married this past weekend. It was on Saturday down in North Carolina. So got to see a bunch of college buddies I haven't hung out with in a while, got to celebrate with him and his family. The weather was a lot nicer than Massachusetts. So all around the board, it was just, it was an amazing event. It was a beautiful wedding. And yeah, it was kind of just great to celebrate the two of them. Had a bit of a recovery day on Sunday, you know, after some wedding activities. But nonetheless, it was totally worth it. Got back, and now I'm right back into the swing of things. But, Justin, that's enough about us. Let's tell the audience about the awesome freebie that we created for them.
2: Yeah, Cody, I'm excited to make this available to all the listeners. It's the spreadsheet that I use personally from the time I started in 2015 when I had 38K to track And now I've got this spreadsheet that shows everything I've spent all the way up to today. We're busted over that million mark. And so it's a tool that I've found kind of stood the test of time. It's got all the categories in there for you. And I think it's just a really simple tool that's worked really well for me. And I hope it works well for the listeners.
1: All right, Justin, I can't let you get away with not hyping yourself up enough because I've seen this spreadsheet and it is just all encompassing. It tracks all of your expenses. It tracks your net worth month to month. It tracks your income. It has kind of a ledger of all of your different accounts, whether that's bank accounts, 401ks, IRAs, anywhere where your money is sitting, Justin has a place for it. And so basically what Justin did was he took his spreadsheet that he uses himself. He made a template version for all of you guys to use and he went ahead and recorded a video to show you exactly how he uses it month to month to track his net worth, income, and expenses. You can grab all of that for free at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. All right. So in today's interview, we have Vincent Puglisi, author of The Wealth of Connection. And the book title is just spot on. In this interview and in the book, Vincent talks about how your network is your net worth, how forming those right connections early on can lead to so many different amazing opportunities. So we get into things like networking strategies, like how do you physically go meet new people? Is it through LinkedIn? Is it through events? We'll get into all that stuff in the episode. How do you actually nurture and garner these connections? Like how do you you know, not seem so salesy that you go and approach someone, hey, I'd love to get X, Y, and Z from you, but how do you make it a natural connection? How do you naturally follow up with people? But how do you also turn those relationships into advantageous situations for you?
2: Yeah, Vincent is definitely just a great storyteller. We got to really see that firsthand at the campfire down in Florida. Me and Cody were both there and saw Vincent speak, and he's just got so many incredible stories. And, you know, I think a lot of times people can look at at someone and see all the success they have and think that maybe they got some lucky breaks and sure everyone maybe has a little bit of that but with Vincent you can just see it's always these deliberate connections that he's making and like Cody said really fostering those relationships which he gets into a lot on this episode so maybe you're getting into a new field moving to a new city just trying to expand your network in some kind of way this will be a great episode for you or if you know someone who might be interested you can find all the links to Vincent's book or Grab the show notes to share with a friend who might be interested in this subject over at thefyshow.com slash Vincent. That's thefyshow.com slash V-I-N-C-E-N-T. Take it away, Vincent.
0: I always was entrepreneurial because my dad, even at 10 years old, I'll never forget. Me and my brother were watching television. I've got an older brother. He's about a year and a half older. And we're watching television and there's this ad for a commercial. And my dad and me and my brother are and ah on over the commercial. And about this car that's on and we're like, oh, look at that. It was red. And my dad gets up and he turns the television off and he turns around right in front of us. He goes, OK, I want to let you know we are not buying you a car. If you're going to want a car, you're going to go pay for the- I'm 10 years old. You're going to go pay for the car. You're going to buy gas and you're going to pay for your own insurance. And I'm like, I didn't even know what insurance was But he's like car gas insurance. And my brother was lined up with it. He got it. He was working. So I'm like at 10 years old. I'm like, I'm going to have to make my own money. So I had a paper route. The next year I was pushing a cart up a, up a hill. So ever since I was 11 years old, I was making my own money and I wasn't doing it through a job. So he taught me really well, like you go and you go earn income and you go control your own destiny in a lot of ways. I didn't understand it totally at that point, but I had a work ethic from what he taught me. And I was a waiter and I was a busboy, and I worked at a convenience store. So it really came from there. But the entrepreneurial side, you know, was never talked about at that time. It's talked about all the time now when I was in elementary school or in high school, you went to school to go get a job before, after you went to college. That's the way it was. There was no talk about business. I knew in high school that I was not meant for school. I knew I wasn't meant for a job. I knew it because even my guidance counselor, as they're going through, like, what are you going to do for a living? I walked into her office and she said, what do you want to do, you know, for a career? And I said, I said, I don't know. I just don't want to wear a tie every day. And she got mad at me. She got mad at me. She said, no, I'm serious. I said, no, I'm serious. I don't want to sit in an office. And I got serious. I "I don't want to sit in an office and wear a tie every day. That sounds miserable. And she kicked me out of her office. She literally said, leave. And I knew at that point I wasn't built for what they were creating. And I remember a friend of mine when I was a senior in high school saying to me, like, what are you going to do? Because he was worried about me. And I said, I have no idea, but I'll figure something out. And the thing is, I remember clearly Not being concerned when I said that, like I knew I would figure something out. I didn't know how, but there was this internal, I am able to have conversations with adults and go back and forth. It was my own age and the teachers I didn't figure it out with, but in real life I was good. So I'm like, something will work out. So that's kind of where it started, even though I had no clue about entrepreneurship or freedom or anything like that.
2: Well, like you said, you, you could kind of tell that you knew that life wasn't for you, that you had some of the like the skills and the knack for this other way. And I remember the story actually that you told at Camp Fi about like you, you take, you know, skipping school, going on the train, going to the Yankees game. And like in that story, like there are so many aspects, which you do a fantastic job telling that story. But there's so many aspects of that where you start to pick up like, OK, you know, you got this knack, like you said, for talking to adults, for networking, for kind of thinking outside the box, like those little things, just hustling. You know, it's an overused word, but really putting the work in. And again, thinking outside the box, like I could just tell that you had those skills at a young age. And it's very interesting that you recognized it.
0: Well, it's funny because you recognize something, but you really don't know what you recognize because people will laugh. You know, when you can get in a conversation and make a 42 year old guy laugh in in an adult conversation, you go, where did that come from? That wasn't what I learned in, in science class at 14 that wasn't there. So I had to kind of work with that. I had loose morals, I guess would be the best way to say it. (laughs) You know, I was a thief. I was arrested for stealing during those years. I ran with a really rough crowd. So you learn a lot of charisma in that time. You learn how to talk to people. What I had to learn later was that charisma is not character. And there's one thing to charisma and you can kind of win people over. But when you win people over without character, you wind up losing trust. So I didn't know that part until later, because I think a lot of times you can get by with your charisma, right? And then eventually you keep burning bridges, but then you, you know, charm the next person. They don't know your history. And then eventually, like a snowball, it catches up to you. That was me. So there was so much learning along the way that was not book study.
1: So as a charismatic guy who knows he doesn't want to wear a tie to work, what did you do in those early years for work? Like, how did you make money? Oh, it was
0: making money was never hard not me. Ma- I didn't make a lot of money, but I didn't need a lot of money. Right. I mean, what was it? It was going out to clubs and girls. I, I didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a boat and I didn't have a beach house. So it wasn't really hard, but I worked for a convenience store where I, you know, became manager. The one thing I had, I guess, is I had a work ethic, I was never too good to not work. And my parents wouldn't put up with it. Anyway, you're going to work. This is, this is going to be life. You're going to work. So I knew from an early age, you know, there's always people are always hiring. And, and if you can go out there and if you can work hard, people are going to pay you. So money wasn't the problem. It really was. What am I doing with my life? What is eventually what it came down to after, you know, making some good money?
2: And you've mentioned some of these jobs that you've done in the work ethic, but they're still working for someone else. And when you talk to people, it's like 100% of the time, even if it's less money, there's just something more exciting about making that dollar that's like kind of out of thin air, seemingly that you've made for yourself. So like, what was that first memory you have of like a true like entrepreneurial dollar?
0: It was a long time. I, I tried a couple of little things, you know, I tried a couple of little things, but essentially that's why I think it didn't click with me yet. Because even though I was working job to job and I can do all these things we were talking about, I was always doing it for somebody else. I didn't start a business. I didn't do anything where it's like, you see kids now and the opportunities with your phone to make money. I don't think people appreciate what they have now compared to 1990 where you didn't have any of those things. So it really was working for somebody else. And then even still when I became a photographer. So now I go through these four years of hell, five years of just raising hell and causing trouble. And then I wound up, just waking up after, you know, a nightmare of being caught stealing because I had a woman at the place that I was working for that caught me stealing from her. Like we would, here's what we do. We would overcharge customers at this convenience store by like 50 cents or a dollar, but there was no digital anything. There was no way to keep track of it. So we were making like $1,500 a night as 17 year olds and it would go up and so I guys to no joke and everybody's going to hate me for this, but I made so much money doing this that I shoved all the cash in my drawer in my, in my bedroom. I didn't even know what to do with it. So whenever my friends needed money, I would say, just go in my room. They'd pull the drawer out and money like a, like a, like a game would come shooting out of the, this drawer. <laughs> there was that much cash. But what happened was this woman caught me and she figured out my system and she goes, I got you. And I, and I like started, I'm like 22 years old. I start sweating that night. I go home and I wake up in a dead sweat and I, she was in my nightmare pointing at me. I still see her with the white hair. And she's like, I got you. I woke up. And that was the only, it was the first moment in four years that I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is not on a good path. And so I went downstairs and I, I moved back in with my parents, just confused. And I'm just sitting at the kitchen table. My dad comes downstairs, two o'clock in the morning. And I didn't get along with my dad, as you can imagine, hearing my stories of my past. And he said to me, he just looked at me. And I said, I have no idea what, my, what I'm doing with my life. And was first time, serious. And he said to me so simply, he said, well, you love sports. Because that's why I watch sports and I listen to music. That's all I did. You love sports. You like taking pictures. You like traveling. He goes, why don't you try to become a sports photographer? It was that simple. I had no career goals. And I said, is that even a job? Is that even, the people get paid to do that? This was something that was never discussed in school. What are you interested in? It was always about, here are the the classes we're going to give you. But if they would have even asked, if that guidance counselor would have said, hey, you know, here, I know you're never going to be an athlete. You're five foot nine and a half and you're slow as molasses. You're never going to play pro sports. But if you want to be in that world, you could be a sports photographer. You could be a writer. You could be a statistician. You could work on the grounds crew. There's all these jobs in this world that you love that you can go do. I would have been the best student at that school. But because nothing like that was presented, I was the worst student in that school. So now my dad gives me this thing, and I said, I've been failing so long, I'm going all in. I bought a camera the next day, I would buy tickets to the Yankees and Mets games, cheapest ticket possible. I would sneak down to the front row, I would take pictures every night, and I would bug the photographers, and I would ask them, how'd you shoot this picture? I would literally bring in the newspapers, and I would ask them, and they would, what camera did you use, what film? This was the first real school I ever went to, it was at the front row of the stadium. So that's what I would do. So that became a freelance career. Eventually I became getting hired. I was getting hired as a freelance photographer, these different magazines and newspapers. That was my first sign of not really entrepreneurship, but freelancing where I don't have a job, but I'm making money where I don't have a schedule and I don't wear a tie. I can turn down the assignment if I want to, but it was really close to the world that I wanted to go towards. That was the bridge. So we're definitely going to talk a lot about networking, connection, meeting the right people
1: at the right time, kind of being in the spot where opportunity can happen. I'm curious because most people, I think when they start a new venture, you know, they're doing the right things, but it doesn't always happen on day one. Like most people never aren't lucky enough to be an overnight success. When was that first big break, whether it was someone
0: you met or a gig that you landed or a photo that you sold to a big journal where you're like, all right, this is it. Yeah, that's it. I love this question because I have a a good answer to this one. And it's it's one of the (laughs) most fun. Well, what I did at that point, about a year later, I had my camera, I'm shooting, I'm making no money. So just so you guys know, for the first six years in photography, I made $20,000 combined from photography, $20,000 combined. I was doing other jobs, but that, that's how, so I wasn't making very much money, but what happened was I took a trip at one point and I was like, I'm going to go because I wanted to shoot in these different stadiums and arenas. So I didn't have very much money. I bought a plane ticket to Chicago from New York and I spent two weeks driving around the Midwest to all these different stadiums from Detroit and Cleveland and Cincinnati and St. Louis to go just take pictures in these stadiums. Well, in second to last night, I was in Milwaukee. I was sleeping literally in a hostel in a barn, second level of a barn. because <laughs> It was like $11 a night. And I went down. I was like, well, the, the Cubs are playing in Chicago, and I've been there already, or the Packers are playing in Green Bay. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. It's like this iconic stadium. So I drove up there without a ticket, and I had very little money. So I go there, and there's no tickets for sale. It's sold out. But luckily, this old guy is going to go to the game with his wife, but it's going to rain, and his wife doesn't want to go. So out of all the tickets that are sold, he has one ticket that he's selling from his wife because she doesn't want to go. He sells me a ticket for $20. I go there. I do what I always did. I snuck down to the front row pregame to take pictures of the warm-ups. And so in a, in a crazy moment, I'm standing there, I'm photographing, and some guy walks by on the field, and he looks up at me. It's a guy next to me taking pictures as well. At, this, at that moment, he leaned down to change his film. He comes over to me, and he looks at me, he sees me with my camera, and he says, are you taking pictures? And I said, I said yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm a fan. He goes, hey, I need help. My assistant didn't show up tonight. And I said, okay. He goes, I work for NFL Films. My name's Jim Jordan. I work for NFL Films. He shows me his press pass. He goes, would you be my assistant? And I was like, sure, I'll be your assistant. So he literally opens up the gate. I go walking down the steps onto Lambeau Field. He puts a press pass around my neck and I'm on the field. Now, all of a sudden, a professional sports photographer for one night, at least not getting paid. And he said, do whatever you want to do. Just stay by my side and make sure I can change my film once a quarter. Halfway through the game, not to run on with the story, but halfway through the game, he sees me and he waves me over to the end zone. And I'm like, so I'm a kid in a candy store taking pictures. He says, come over here, like get down I kneel down right in front of him. Brett Favre in his first MVP season, this is 1995, rolls out, throws a touchdown pass right in front of me. And I get this great picture of Dorsey Levins. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's like the best picture I've ever taken. And he walks away and I look at him and he turns back and he winks at me. And I said, and so "I of course, I run up to him. He's underneath the goalpost. And I was like, what just happened? And he said, oh, he takes his headset off. He goes. We've got Favre mic'd up for NFL films for a show we're doing. I knew where the play was going. <laughs> I wanted to give you a good shot. So he knew it. And I was like, what world am I living in right now? At the end of the night, I said, I'm going to go to the press conference. I'm joking around. He goes, you do whatever you want. You're NFL films. So cool. So that night, I go to leave the stadium. And back before they did the renovations at Lambeau Field, literally, you went from the locker room to the parking lot. One door right out there. No in between. And I'm in the locker room in my dream job. And I opened the door. And now I'm in the parking lot again, like I've been my whole life, just out on the outside. And I'll never forget. I was four steps out of the stadium. And I said, that's what I'm going to do with my life. And that was literally, I went back the next week. I snuck into giant stadium, Cowboys giants. And then three weeks later, I had an internship with Newsday in New York. And then everything rolled from there.
2: It's just such an awesome story about like, you know, putting yourself out there, getting in that spot, saying yes. And, and you never know what's going to happen. Like if, you know, taking that chance to get in the stadium in the first place, just going out there just to see what happens. Also love any story with Brett Favre. If you don't know, he's from Mississippi. Shout out yep. to Brett Favre. So I'm curious with you, have met this guy. You've had this like once in a lifetime chance. It's going to help you hopefully start to kind of have that big break. Did you keep in contact with this guy? Did it pay even more
0: dividends later in life? And what's so funny about it is he was hard to get a hold of. So I would reach out to him every once in a while. What he didn't know is that he got me onto the field and then he went about his life. Well, I took that picture and that was the number one picture in my portfolio that got me the internship at Newsday. And then that got me an internship with the National Hockey League. So now I'm shooting pro sports. I'm shooting for the Rangers and Islanders. I'm shooting literally United States presidents as they come in and celebrities in sports. So I'm doing this for two or three years. And then one night I get assigned to photograph the Giants Cowboys at Giant Stadium. And I walk into the stadium and now I'm kind of. I've been doing it's not so overwhelming anymore and I look on the sideline and who do I see there's Jim Jordan NFL films like 20 feet away from me at Giants. he's shooting the game for NFL films so I walk up to him I said you probably do not remember me but I told him the story and his mouth was open he goes I remember everything about that I remember that night I remember you he goes you've got to be kidding me like you've made a career from this and I told him he goes telling all his buddies what happened he said to me, he goes, every... He goes, I've told your story for ever since... Like I'd see him three years later. He goes, I tell your story to everybody. Because it really is what you're talking about. It's showing up. It's having a passion for something. It's having no expectations that anything's going to go right. But if you put yourself in that spot, it's never going to happen if you don't. So, he is now a 16-time Emmy winner. <laughs> he left NFL Films. He worked for NASCAR. He does, he does these, his own production company. So, I literally messaged him about a month ago. And I said, I want to interview you for my podcast to tell the story. He's like, I'm in, let's do this. So I'm going to be interviewing him about a month on my podcast.
1: Wow. That is a full circle story back from yeah. 95 to you know, 2022. Yeah. Great <laughs> contact with this guy. That is just absolutely nuts. Do you have any more stories like that? Because, you know, a lot of people are listening, probably motivated, probably inspired. But, you know, obviously not everyone listening is a sports photographer or has any yep. interest in sticking down to the front row and, no. you know, getting lucky where you can. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious if you have any other examples where being or, or just getting yourself in a place where good things can happen to you, like, you know, where opportunity is where like luck and preparation meet or whatever that saying is. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug-and-play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase, that's Shopify.com slash Fishow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: Totally. Well, I'll give you I'll give you one that transfers, I mean, literally to this next phase. So for me, I became a sports photographer, then I became a journalist, and then we became wedding photographers, commercial. So for from 95 to 2015, that was everything. I met my wife at college for journalism, we both had newspaper jobs together, started businesses together. Around 2015, I started getting a little bored with everything. Everything I had done, I had done. Every time I tried to challenge myself, I did it. And so I started getting into this world of personal development, you know, the world that a lot of us are in. And I was reading, you know, Seth Godin and Andy Andrews and all these different books. Gary Vaynerchuk before people knew who he was. You know, Dave Ramsey, we got into before anybody like 93 before he was huge. We followed his program, paid off debt. So I started going into that world, but I don't know how to get into that world. I'm a photographer. So this is the whole transfer thing. So what happened was, and it's funny that you asked this question because it leads off of the last one so well, is I'm credentialed to photograph the Pirates playoff game. This is 2014, 2013. The Pirates hadn't been good in forever. They finally became good. So now they're the toast of the town. And so I get credentialed to shoot their playoff game. At the same time, there's a conference in New York and it's Dave Ramsey, Seth Godin, and Gary Vaynerchuk in a conference called Business Gets Personal. And I'm like, these are three of my guys. So I have this old world versus new world. And I think a lot of your people are gonna be in this spot. I'm doing this one thing. I really wanna do this other thing. I have experience here. I'm afraid to leave it, but I really am excited about this world, right? That's where I was at. So I had this decision to make. Here's the crazy part. Dave Ramsey hired us, my wife and I, a photograph For them in Pittsburgh the week before that. They were coming in for one of their live events. They found our work or whatever. They hired us. So we're doing portraits of Dave and his daughter Rachel and all the people at the event. And Chris Medford was their producer. So we're just hanging out. This is what happens when you're when you're in the world. We're just talking and he goes, Yeah, we're getting set up for this big event in New York next year. I'm like, Yeah, I know. I said, I want to go to it. And I said, but I can't because I'm shooting this game. But he didn't hear the second part. He said, I said, I want to go to it. And he goes, do you want to go? And I said, Oh, I'd love to go. I kind of just changed my tune. And he said, if you want to go, I got a ticket for you. If you can make your way to New York, I got a ticket for you. It'll be waiting there. It's the Rose Theater in, in, in Lincoln Center, New York city. So I go to my wife. I said, what do I do here? It's a $900 ticket. It's with my idols. What do I do? And she said, you got to make it. So I pretty much knew at that moment, I'm choosing a career, a new path over an old because I need to now turn down This big event with my editor, basically letting them know I'm kind of fading from this and I want to go into this world. So I chose New York and I got on a bus to New York City and I went to the event and they gave me VIP. So I'm sitting there talking to Gary Vaynerchuk, talking to Seth Godin. And literally that connection with Seth is what led to when I wrote my book, him endorsing it which then led to so many people wanting to know me, which is like, it wasn't about me. It was like, how'd you get Seth through? You know, nobody cared about (laughs) me. It was about Seth. And that literally was the catalyst to this next career taking off.
2: And all these dominoes, a lot of times, you know, you see this common connection where you're striking up a conversation with somebody. You're you're having a good conversation that leads to some kind of follow-on opportunity. You're following up. You're being genuine about like what you're offering or what your interests are. And I remember at Camp Fire, like you talked about how when you're having conversations with people, you try to make sure you're asking questions. You're not just talking the whole time. You're not just answering Mm -hmm. questions. So I don't know if you could talk a little bit about like tactically, if people do find themselves in these situations where they're someone they want to make a lasting impression on, uh, you know, they want to get to know kind of how to handle those conversations.
0: The way to not do it is do what I'm doing now, which is uncomfortable is talking about myself the whole time. Right. (laughs) We love this stuff, Vincent. Keep going. (laughs) You're asking me to do it. Right. So I'm doing it. But curiosity is a big part of this. The lack of curiosity in conversations is so depressing to me. I'm in this world and I study it, so I see it. And I see how somebody introduces themselves and then there's, here's what I do. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what I care about. And people are like, all right, all right. You know, and, 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 but there's no interest. There's no questions back. And the successful people, the ones that connect well, it's curiosity. It's asking questions. And then when you get in that conversation, my goodness, the best way to kill it is to give like one word answers you know, Justin, how are you doing? I'm good. (laughs) Right. So, you know, uh, do you have a good weekend? Yeah, it's good. I'm like, gee, can you make it any harder for me in this conversation? (laughs) And that's what people do. They don't ask questions. They're not curious. They're not diving into it. So what happened was I was speaking at a conference in Connecticut four years ago and I'm the keynote speaker. So I, but I like to get there early. I want to meet the people. I want to, I want to listen to the other speakers. I I really want to be a part of the event. So in between speakers, I'll go to the different tables and I'll say, so what are you struggling with? And half an hour later, they stop talking, right? They're telling me all the things and I'm just listening. I'd rather listen than talk. Table by table, all day long, what are you struggling with? What are you working on? They can't wait to tell me all the stuff. By the end of the day, I'm about to go on and I'm like, nobody's asked me one question. I'm I'm like the most boring person in the world. Nobody's even going to be interested in what I'm talking about because all I'm doing is listening to them talk. A woman comes up to me and she goes, you are the best speaker we've had. I hadn't even spoken yet. And I'm like, (laughs) what are you talking about? And she said, you go around to every table. You ask us how we're doing. You don't talk about what you're doing. And you listen to us. Every speaker, when they come, if they even spend time with us, they're just telling us about themselves. And you actually took time and spoke. And so I got all these rave reviews back to the people that ran the conference because I was that person that would engage. And I started realizing like, People, people want to be heard. People want to be listened to. People want questions asked of them. And if you can be curious about what's going on in people's lives, you will open up all these doors and then eventually the ones that are curious will be interested back. And that's how your doors get open for you. But people do it the wrong way.
1: So to dig a little deeper, I totally agree. I think giving before you get is like one of the most important things that has helped me My business life, my entrepreneurial life, my friendships—just everything. Always just giving before you get. But at some point, like you said, some people will be curious, and so you'll get some of that reciprocation. You'll get opportunities. You'll get connections. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you do have to make an ask, and you know, obviously, don't go about it the first thing you walk up to someone. Hey, I'm Cody. You want to invest in my business, or you know, hey, want to buy my course? But there is some kind of a, a lead up. Like there's tactics that go into this. There are strategies. Could you talk a little bit about? How to best facilitate that? Like how do you go into a conversation? You know the outcome that you want to get? Like you know this person can help me achieve this, but obviously the the thing you don't want to do is ask that thing right away. Like how do you kind of guide and facilitate whether it's you know frequency of conversations or just like what you're talking about in that initial conversation? Maybe you wait till conversation number two to bring this thing up. You're talking in terms of sales sales or connections or you know maybe someone has like Ramsey had a a ticket to that event you didn't know he was going to give it to you but maybe you knew that the event was coming up and you don't want to bring it up hey Dave can I get a free ticket to that event but you know maybe if you really wanted that free ticket you could go about in a crafty way of like forming that connection and bringing it up
0: I think honesty I mean that's the whole thing so many times we're kind of beating around the bush we know we want so we won't really say it so it kind of gets a little kind of like are you reaching out for a reason or are you are you doing this genuinely? I'll give you an example. Like I reach out to people daily. I call it the hour of giving. So I wake up every day and I try to do it first thing in the morning, but sometimes it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I spend an hour and it's nothing to do with me. It's literally like if Cody comes on my mind, Justin comes on my mind, what are the, what's going on? Let me send him a message. Maybe I write a thank you note for something that they did. Whatever it is, spend an hour on that. Here's what happened, guys. And I think this goes to your point. It might, It's not the best sales technique at all, but it worked was I would do this on a consistent basis and, people, and I would see how people are doing. Invariably, people are going to ask how you're doing if they're curious at all. Not everybody. Some people, no joke, I will reach out to, ask how they're doing. I'm doing great. There's not even a question back. I'm like, that's not, you're not being a great conversationalist. I'm judgmental, <laughs> but seriously, like, how could somebody reach out? You don't even, you're not even curious about what's going on except for just answering for yourself. But people come back and they're like, hey, what are you working on? You know, after you're involved in their life. And I'm like, oh, that's, that was back when I was writing my book. And I was like, oh, by the way, I'm, yeah, what am I, I'm writing a book. And they're like, what kind of book? And I said, it's called Freelance to Freedom. It's, you know, it's a journey for entrepreneurs to build a life, of time, money, location, freedom. Well, I'd like to read that book. I'm like, I'll send you the PDF if you want to read it. What happened was I sent that book out to 500 people by PDF during that time because of the conversations. Over time, I said, hey, would you write me a review? If you like the book, would you, would you just send it to me? I'll, I'll keep it. And when the book comes out, maybe you could post it on Amazon. So they all started writing me these reviews because I'm sending them the book because I'm connecting with them. I had people get back to me. And you guys will appreciate the story. One guy, Sam Lynch, wrote five pages of notes for my book. And he was like impacted by it. But then he said, "This is a story in your book and it's about your dad. And it's a story I told you guys earlier. And he's like, you buried that like midway through the second part of the book. If you put that story near the beginning, I think it would just be killer. To just have that early in the book. So I, I made that change from his feedback. Well, I was at FinCon in Dallas a couple of years ago. I meet Jonathan and Brad from Choose FI. Like we had connected a little bit, but we met there. We're talking. They're asking me questions about the book. Jonathan wants to read the book. I sent him the book. He's going to South Africa to visit family. He's reading the book on the plane and he messaged me and he goes, Vince, that story about your dad early in the book. As soon as I read that, I was hooked. And then they asked me to be on the podcast and I was like, that was all from what you just talked about connecting with people, being interested in them, them being interested back because I didn't push the book on them because I just mentioned them and they really wanted to read the book instead of me saying, Hey, read my book and leave me a, a review and buy it. It was mutual interest that led on down the road. And then as you can imagine, you get on that podcast the other people and have you on their podcast and so on and so on. And that all came from that. So I think a lot of times there is hope, there is expectation, but like you said, Cody, if you're generous first, if you're, I say it this way, and this is the way I described in the beginning of my book, we have generous goals and we have selfish goals, and there's nothing wrong with either of them. I have selfish goals, right? We wanted to buy a house with a pool in Florida. Selfish goal doesn't help anybody but me and my family. The problem is most people put their selfish goals at the top. So you say, what are you getting? That's what I don't don't like journals. It's all about what you want, right? What are you going to get? So all my selfish goals up top this year, I'm going to do this, this, and this. So it's all about you. So what I describe is your generous goals have to go on top. Meaning, guys, how is your podcast going to change these people's lives, right? You're on here, and you guys, I'm sure, have selfish goals, but you want to deliver the best podcast you could possibly do for your listeners. It's a generous goal. Because if you can change their lives with your podcast, it's wonderful. But if you can change their lives with your podcast, your selfish goals will be taken care of. And I think if I want just to change that approach, that's the way we think more than just, hey, how do we get what we want? Because if you can get your generous goals on top and you know who you're serving, you're going to get all the stuff you need.
2: That's a great way of putting it about, you know, if you you do that part, you take care of the people, you put out a good product, you help people like the other, the rest of it kind of take care of itself. And I'm curious, and it's okay if you don't, but like when you think about like relationships and people that you meet, and like you mentioned the guy from NFL films, was a little hard to get back in touch with. Mm-hmm. If you have any kind of system for making sure that you're just touching base with people ever so often, because I know for me, like a lot of times, you know, I have friends that are are terrible at texting back and that's okay. Like if if they don't text back for a couple of months, like I'll just shoot them another message and I just kind of try to stay in front of people's mind Mm -hmm. so you don't get kind of forgotten about long term. Do you have like anything that you do systematically to make sure, hey, it's been too long since I haven't touched base with this person?
0: I should have a CRM. I should have it all. You know, I should have that. I don't go well by that. You want to know why? Because I go by touch and feel with it. Whereas if somebody comes to my mind and I'm on social media or whatever it is, or I'll see something, I'm like, I haven't spoken to Cody in a while. I see it. That's when I send a message. If I see somebody doing something well, that's when I send a message. It's not just, oh, well, it was, it was, you know, I, I reached out to people from eight to 11 on Friday mornings <laughs> and Justin, and I reached out three months ago. So now, so Justin's going to look at this message and be like, isn't it funny how Vincent messaged me like every three months at 8.30 on Fridays <laughs> when it comes down to so often. So I'm like, no, I go by feel and emotion and, and what's going on in people's lives. If I see that you have something going on, I see you go on a great trip. You just got wrote a book or you just got married. So I leave that space open to reach out to people. Essentially, it works itself out, right? The people that you want to keep in touch with, you will continue to. And the people that, like I said earlier, the people that don't, the people that give you one word answers back, the people that don't ask any questions, eventually they just fade because they're not interested in the conversation and so you just know how it shapes out over time but the people that do you just know who the who the connections are and you know who wants to do it so there's not a science to it it's not perfect at all but it works
1: this was the exact reason why i asked you my previous question because i feel like you're really good at that whether it's intentional or not you said it's more of a touch and feel rather than a systematic process but you'll, you know, just you'll just shoot me a message out of the blue. I haven't talked to you in a while. Hey, Cody, what's up? How's it going? And, and I'll let you know what I'm doing. Ask what you're doing. And that will be it. It's like there's no pitch after it. There's no like sneaky sale. Like you're just you know, checking in on a friend, which is, which is so cool. And I don't think enough people do that. So that's why I was, you know, that's kind of the genesis for my previous question. Cause I just, I don't think people take the time. Like every message you get on Instagram is a sale to mm-hmm. join some new course or every message you get on LinkedIn is some new product. It's like, people don't just like reach out, ask how you're doing. Hey, that was really cool. I saw you on X, Y, and Z podcast. Like that was amazing. That's it. Like no agenda after that. I just
0: think no, because, it's so important. Yeah. Well, cause you think about it. Say, so how do you like to be treated? Right, you know, in my world of photography that I was in, you just get used to seeing it. You know, Steelers are playing the Patriots, guys. Right? Guess what's happening? I'm getting 50 people. Can I be your assistant on the field? I shot the Steelers Patriots playoff game a couple years ago, championship game. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody who I haven't spoken to, I'm, and I'm like, you're not getting the pass. I haven't heard from you in six years. <laughs> yes. My friend that keeps in touch with me is getting the pass, and it's kind of just the same type of thing. It's the thing where. If you keep in touch with people with no agenda, when things come up, you're going to be a little more top of mind. But what happens all the time is, crap, I've got a book out. I haven't done crap to keep in touch with people. Now I'm going to blast everybody. And hey, my book's coming out. Will you do this? And it's like, yeah, I might. I might because I want to help you, but I'm not gonna, it's not going to be the same as if we kept in touch. That's what happens all the time is when people just last minute try to get in touch with people. Stop doing that. I don't do that at all. And especially if I know I need something, it's the last time I'm not going to abuse a friendship and a relationship to get somebody to promote my stuff. So it's like start a year ago, get a time machine, get a DeLorean, Michael J. Fox, go back a year and start keeping in touch with people with no expectations and, or, or plan for a year from now, but do it the right way.
2: And so you've got all these like great skills with the, with the networking and you've got this natural feel for it. For those who don't know, how have you been taking that and kind of helping others upskill and become that same kind of mentality?
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, that's why I'm writing this book because I really think it's not here. Here's where it came down to. And this is, this is how it, I hope it helps other people. You talk to all these experts in whatever field it is, and they give you their funnel or they give you their success stories. And then there's this little piece that comes out. You know, it's all about relationships. It's all about it really comes down to it. And then they'll go and tell you their sales, you know, funnel. And, and it's like, I remember hearing a guy say 75% of podcasts Are they grow through word of mouth and then they go through 50 minutes of all the technical stuff? I'm like, if 75% come from word of mouth, and if the most important thing is relationships, why are you not spending your time 75%, 80 20 rule, whatever on that factor of your business? So, what I do, Justin, is try to teach this. I try to get because people go, Oh, what's the hook? You know, you scratch my back, I scratch it. I'm like, No, it's not about scratching back so you get something back, it's about developing a generous mindset. In terms of networking, it's a hard, it's a hard enough thing to do as it is because everybody's like, but I need to sell my stuff. If you do this well and, and the money comes because you do it the right way, you don't need to sell anything. It all will come down the road the right way. It's a hard thing to tell people because people have all their numbers that they want to reach. But I'm telling you, it's a better life when you have good friends that trust you and they know you're not using them for an affiliate or whatever it is to sell. So I don't have a great answer. That's why I wrote this book, because I want to I want to give a perspective of like this is real in terms of doing this the right way
1: is reaching out and just maintaining those connections, those friendships as easy as, hey, how's it going? How are things with you? Or is there like a deeper research type thing? Like I mentioned before, like, hey, you know, I saw you doing X, Y and Z. Like How, how deep do you have to go to, in your opinion, to actually form a meaningful relationship and someone's thinking that you're, you're genuinely checking in on them?
0: Well, relationships are, are, one, are two-way street, and it's not just checking in. It's thinking about how I can help the people around, right? If I come on this podcast with you guys, and I go, they ask great questions. They do research. They're attentive while we're talking. They're listening. I'm going to want to hopefully introduce people to your show that will be benefited by being on your show, and then you will be benefited. So this is something everybody can do, and very few people do it. I know a few people that do it amazingly and most people don't do it at all is how do I connect the unconnected? How do Mm. I take you guys and your world that you're in and these other worlds that I'm in and take people from there and bring you together? So if I can connect you guys and then two months from now, you guys have an amazing interview with somebody that I helped you get on the show. And then you guys are like, wow, it really helped us. Who does that help? It helps you guys. It helps them. They get elevated and they're in my network. So what's the best thing that could happen to my network? Is it gets better? Is it gets stronger? If the people in there do better. So if you guys do great and they do great and then we meet at another conference in two years, then how'd you guys meet? Oh, Vincent connected us. Who's Vincent? Now I got to meet him. So now these other people want this to happen over and over. What did I do? I just thought about what you guys need and what they need and I brought you together. I try to do it on a consistent basis. It's amazing how few people do this. So that's a part of it, right? That's a part of it. And also, are, are you going out of your way? Are you writing a thank you note? I know it sounds so old-fashioned, but go to your mailbox. What do you get? Bills. And <laughs> right? Yeah. Every time. And then I'm like a six-year-old with the Toys R Us catalog when I open up and my name's written out and it's not fake. And I open up and somebody literally spent 10 minutes to write a note thanking me. I'm on cloud nine for the rest of the day. I'm not joking. That means that much to me. Why in the world would I not do that for other people if that's how it made me feel? So it's kind of old school, but it's new school where it's like it's so easy to connect people together. It's so easy to do little things to make people feel special and they remember it. And if you do that daily or weekly or monthly and you compound that over years, you're going to build such an amazing connection and network. That when things happen they're going to think of you when you do release a book they're all going to want to help you, but it doesn't happen by oh crap, I have a book released in three weeks let me let me bug the crap out of everybody I know
2: and that's a great segue talking about connecting other people like you know, again some people listening may not know like, how much work you've done in the space of uh, mastermind groups and but a lot mm-hmm. of people have heard of mastermind groups and it's very common where people struggle to invest in themselves that they're scared like I don't know you know I'll pay this $100, 150 for this. What if I don't get anything out of it? Mm-hmm. What are some like success stories? Maybe you could give us some like anecdotes of like how masterminds have changed some people's lives or like why you would advise people, regardless of which mastermind it was, to, to take a serious look at joining a mastermind?
0: I swear it's like you guys are reading my, my messengers. <laughs> <laughs> in our group last week, Courtney Wisely, she's an automation like genius and she's a friend with my friend. Ken Carfagno. And she, he connected us. He did what I just talked about about two years ago. And he said, I think Cordy would be great for the mastermind. She's brilliant, but she does no clue about money. And I have no problem saying that out loud here. If she listened. She knows the whole story. She was unbelievable. She can automate these businesses. She can go in and she can take these cleaning businesses, take their laptop. And within three days, everything's automated and they're ready to go. Just just change their business around. She would do these retreats. And she was telling me about this. She was making a couple thousand dollars a month in everything that she did. And always had big money problems, money mindset problems. And she told me about what she did. And I I remember sitting on the floor in my den and I'm like, are you serious? Like you should be making a million dollars, what what you have. I tell her, I'm not giving you a sales pitch, but I'm telling you, we're going to beat you up. We're going to come at you hard and we're going to make you change your mindset on this. She joins the mastermind. The first call, she wouldn't even go on video. So I still remember seeing her logo on there. You wonder, she wouldn't even put her face in the video. I'm like, you got to be on video to do this. we got to have this. So she's telling us her story and what she can do. And I see everybody's mouths open. There's like eight people in the call. Like, like, and they're all like, I want to hire you. I want to hire you, right? They all want to spend money with her to get her to do what she can do. She couldn't charge for it. She gave up all the excuses in the world. Two weeks later, she was still given the excuses. We went to a retreat that I ran for the mastermind. And I remember saying at the retreat, I think I'm kicking her out. She's not doing the work. She's defensive about everything. I think she has to go. And I'm like, let's give her a little bit more time. Well, she winds up listening to us. She winds up charging for it. $975 because it's a Harry Potter thing. I don't even understand the reference. So she made the price around Harry Potter. Sold it out. Sold it out. Say, okay, you got to raise your price because obviously it sold out too quickly. Doubled it. Sold it out again. $2,000. All right. $3,000. Maybe it's worth more than I realized. $3,000. Sold it out. Just started crushing it unbelievable. So then things are rolling. COVID happens. COVID kills all live events. That was her whole business. She comes to us like crying. It's over. The gravy trains over. Can't do anything anymore. I said, why can't you go online with this? Me and Jared Spencer in the group. Why can't you go online? Can't. Like people don't want it online, but we're like BS. Start walking her through it. Two weeks later, she's a go-getter. She builds it up. Six months later, that went to a six-figure business online. Three days ago in the group, she just messaged, hey guys, just hit a million dollars. Just made my first million. Wow. This was two little over two years ago when she started. That wasn't me. She's the brilliant one, but we give the nice kick in the pants to get her moving.
1: That sounds like the wealth of connection, being connected to the (laughs) Right? right people who know things that you don't know. And you're going to be, you know, willing and humble enough to learn those things that you don't know that you don't know. We haven't mentioned the book, its title yet, The Wealth of Connection, but I'd love if we could quickly just like walk through that. That was a perfect example of someone who just, they weren't connected to the right people. They didn't know the right tactics or the right business strategies or, you know, it doesn't have to be business per se, yeah. but just getting connected to the right people, your people. So yeah. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the, I guess the genesis of the book and maybe just a quick overview. You don't have to spill all the beans, Vincent, but would, I'm yeah. sure our audience would love to hear it.
0: Yeah. It came down to this and I want to, you know, alliteration's They bother me a little bit because it's so easy sometimes, but it really came down to it It was like, I started looking at what, what do people do wrong and what do they need to learn? And what can we really help with this? And I was like, looks like we talked about earlier. Charisma is not character. That's a, that's a part of the first part of the book because character is the first part of the book. If you don't have the character, everything eventually will collapse on itself. We all know people in this industry that have done really well for short periods of time. And then their character came out and we saw failings. And something that was really good was not good anymore. We've all seen it. Whether it's celebrity or in our own businesses. So that goes to the whole generous and selfish thing. If your character is right, if you have generous goals, boom. If if we can get that by the end of part one, we're in good shape. Then it's curiosity, what we talked about before. And we go deep into the curiosity side of it. The story with the mafia and the baseball game is in there. So that's the cornerstone to it. If you can have your character and you can have your curiosity down, you have really set yourself up so much higher than just about everybody else in this world, even if you're just beginning. Because most people, I hate to say it, a lot don't have the character and they don't have the curiosity. So they will only go to a certain level. Then comes in connection. You have your character, you have your curiosity, and then you connect with people. When I meet you and you have character and you're curious, I like you. When I meet you and you don't have either of those, I fade a little bit. So successful people will draw in from that it will bring in more unsuccessful people that are more like that. So that's where it starts to separate. Then we go into collaboration. Obviously, it's just a very big overview. Then we go into collaboration, what we do here, what we do in a lot of different ways in business. When you have those three things and you've connected, now I trust you. Maybe we'll do a conference together. Maybe you guys will do a podcast together, right? As you guys are doing. Maybe we'll speak at a All these. Now when you have collaboration, just like when we all met at at Camp Fi, afterwards it's like, whatever we can do for each other, we're going to help each other with. When you go through that together, right? When you have that collaboration, you are set. The last part is creation. I did that for a reason. Most people want to start with creation first. I write a book, I start a podcast. Hey, guys, tell everybody about my podcast. I haven't seen that you have character. I haven't seen that you have curiosity. I'm not connected to you. I haven't collaborated with you. I'm probably not going to put my neck on the line for you. But when you have those four things and then you go there, it doesn't matter what you start next, you're going to have a network around you looking to build you up. When my book was launched, I had over 100 reviews to start with because of that. When the podcast was launched, same thing. The wealth of connection was around it. Now with everything that you do, content stacks on top of each other. You write a book, you do a membership, mastermind, conference. As long as you can keep those things together, you're in great shape. So that's just the overview of the book.
2: Well, I heard you mention that the the story with the mafia and the baseball thing is is in there. So when when the book is available, it's worth getting just for that story. It's a fantastic story. Um, But you got a ton of things going on, Vincent. And so for those who are listening who want to keep a pulse on when the book's coming out, who want to understand more about the mastermind, whatever it is, I know, you know, you don't like to enter the conversations and just talk about yourself. But, you know, that's what we're doing here today. Where is the best place for those people to kind of find and listen and follow
0: along with your story? The podcast, I have a daily short form podcast called Total Life Freedom Podcast and short snippets, solo shows with interviews now that are coming into it. What's really fun about that is we started doing themes this year. So week long themes within an expert at the end of that theme, but it's solo shows with an expert interview. So it's a combination of everything. So I'm really excited about that. The website's totallifefreedom.com. All the information's on there and uh, pretty much that simple.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll link all that up in the show notes. We're going to also try to, you know, shimmy our editorial calendar to line this up with the book launch. So hopefully by the time you're here in this episode, the book will be available and you guys can check out the wealth of connection. But Vincent's been far too long, man. I appreciate, you know, the Facebook messages and keeping up. And it's always a pleasure when I see that notification pop up on my phone, asking me how Greece was or how this was or how that was. So,
0: so you know, (laughs) we actually got invited to go photograph a wedding in Santorini, Greece. Oh man. And here was the deal. It was 2010 and we were thinking about having another baby. We were not pregnant. I don't get pregnant. My (laughs) wife got, I'm not taking any credit for it. We were thinking about having a baby and we had a feeling. So we turned it down. And then three weeks later we found out we were pregnant. And so the wedding was literally the month that our son Dylan was born. So as much as I wanted to go to Santorini, I saw the pictures and I'm like, holy crap. I'm glad I didn't because I would have missed the birth of my child. I would have to turn down the wedding so that neither one of those would have been good.
1: Hey, you'll so. get there, man. Greece is beautiful. Yep. You should definitely check it out. And yeah, I just want to thank you again so much for taking the time today, sharing all of your wisdom on connection and networking and relationships with our audience. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you guys. You guys are awesome. And as always,
2: if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at the community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources.
0: And thanks for listening.